It's always uh, dangerous to start off with a little bit of crowd participation because you're never really sure how that's going to go. And if it doesn't go the way that I'm hoping to, it might, might derail me just a little bit, but that's okay. When you ask somebody how they're doing, what is the one word answer you hear the most? Fine, good, okay. I disagree with you. The word I hear the most is busy. What's the word that, what's the answer that you mostly give to other people? Is it fine, is it okay, is it, is it busy? Or what do we mean when we say we're fine or we're okay? Um, most of the time it's we're not really being honest because we're living life at such a pace that we know we'd be embarrassed to actually give the real the real answer. Uh, people say busy almost like it's a, it's a badge of honor. It's, hey, I've got so much going on. Man, I'm just involved in so many things. My time is so valuable that it's filled with so many, so many other, th- other things. Or uh, if it's not a badge of honor, then sometimes people say they're busy just because they're resigned to that fact. It's, oh, I'm, just, I'm just busy. You know, man, you know, you know I'm, just, I'm just busy. You know how things are. It's life. You know, you have to be busy. It's just something, just a fact that you uh, have to, have to embrace. I've come to think of it in my life as more of an embarrassing admission. And so as we talk about, as we go through the sermon series, I I just want to kind of challenge you the next time somebody asks you how you're doing, instead of saying, okay, or fine, you know, if that's really the the answer that you, that you hear or give, give the most, or instead of saying busy, I want you to think about actually being honest about, about your response to, to that other person. So here, here's some examples. Instead of, of just saying busy here, here's some honest answers. I've been procrastinating. Hey, how are you doing? I've been procrastinating. So here's another example. My priorities are out of whack. I'm involved in a flurry activity without really much to show for it. I don't know how to say no. I equate an unmanageable schedule with my self-worth. That'd be a good one. Hey, how are you doing? I'm afraid I'm missing out on something, so I'm filling my life with as much as possible. Or this is one of my favorites. How are you doing? Well, I'm distracting myself from what really needs to be done. So like Chip mentioned, we're starting a brand new sermon series today based on the book, The Ruthless Elimination of Hurry by John Mark Comer. And I I just want to say, if you are at all in any kind of personal spiritual growth in your life, I highly recommend this book to you. It's something that you can check. I forgot to check whether or not it's available in the library, but I want to recommend that you look it up, check it out on Amazon, and, um, and, and read, read this book, because I think, I think it will help you to see your life and see the life that we live within our culture in a whole different brand new light. It's an opportunity you don't want to miss. And here's where this book came from. It came from a conversation that John Mark Comer heard about. All right, so he's got a relationship with a guy named John Ortberg who's written a lot of books. Maybe some of you have read some of them. And John Ortberg had a mentor named Dallas Willard. Dallas Willard is one of, uh, one of the big names in spiritual development and growth and discipline. He's written a lot of books. Uh, he's no longer living, but he's, he's just one of those people that a lot of people have referred to over the years and, and got a lot of uh, spiritual growth from. And so John Ortberg calls Dallas Willard and he asks him the question, what do I need to be the me I want to be? And when John Ortberg is asking this, he's, he's not asking like, how do I self-actualize? But he's talking about, how do I become the person God has called me and created me to be? And Dallas Willard thought for, for a little while, and then he responds with this. You must ruthlessly eliminate hurry from your life. I don't know that anybody, has anybody said, ever said that to you? How do, I, how do I become my best self in my life? Uh, stop being hurried. 
Nobody has ever said that to me. And so this is a really intriguing response. And so John Ortberg said, okay, great. He got out his pen, his you know, notebook, and he writes, writes it down. He says, okay, what else? And Dallas Willard is quiet, and, and then he responds, nothing else. That, that is the thing. You must ruthlessly eliminate hurry from your life if you at all want to be the person who God created you to be. John Mark Comer, as he writes, writes this book, he refers to hurry as being a sickness of, of the soul, a form of violence on the soul, and that God did not create us to live at the pace that most of us find ourselves living. So even if you don't feel hurried in your life right now, you live with someone or you are in a close relationship with someone who is dealing with this. And so this is either going to help you or it's going to help, help them. And so I just want to, uh, John lists, lists a list of 10 things that are symptoms of hurry sickness. And so I just want to go through those things so we can just kind of do a self-evaluation. Maybe you can relate to some of these things and, and maybe just kind of internally keep a little score and give, give yourself a point for everything that you feel that's a part of this list, okay? See if these symptoms are, are in your life. This is, these are symptoms of hurry sickness. The first is irritability. Anybody irritable or know somebody who's irritable? I do. You get mad or frustrated way too easily, and you think about how you treat your children or your spouse or those closest to you or maybe the driver next to you or, you know, the coworker, the, the, the customer in front of you. Irritability, hypersensitivity. Do you get your feelings hurt really easily? Maybe it just takes one comment or one word, one little text, an email, something that can set you off or a small little thing that ruins, ruins your day. How about restlessness? When you try to slow down, you just can't find yourself doing it. You just can't turn, turn the switch off at all. So you're constantly fidgeting. You're constantly thinking about something. There's something constantly going on in your life. Your mind is racing. Your tasks are constantly calling, calling your name. Workaholism. Or, or maybe just some sort of nonstop activity, something that you you just always got to be in that, always got to be doing that. Could be a hobby or something else. You just can't stop. You get a high off of of accomplishing and accumulating that comes with that. Um, emotional numbness is number five. You don't really have the capacity to be in the moment with other people or to kind of understand their pain or share any kind of empathy or sympathy in those those uh, those moments. It becomes rare for you. Or maybe some out-of-order priorities. This can be kind of tough to figure out in our lives, especially if we don't do what we're talking about this morning with one of the top ways for us to re reduce hurry in our lives. Um, but you're always getting sucked into the urgent rather than the important. So you, you know somebody who just can't do anything without responding to the noise that comes with their, from their phone? It's like, oh, I, well, I got a notification, so I, I, I've, I've got to do that. Oh, the, here, here's this other thing that I've got to react. And, and can't stay in the moment, can't, can't be there uh, with you. Maybe um, they're busier than, you're busier than ever, but you feel empty about it because you're not really accomplishing uh, much. You have so many goals and things you'd like to do, but you never really get to them or you never really finish those things. Uh, number seven is, is lack of care for your body. You don't eat well, you don't sleep well, you don't exercise well. I mean, that's just, that is so low down on, on your list that you don't realize how much that is actually affecting your mood and how you engage with other people and your work and all those other areas of your life. Uh, you live on uh, what John Mark Comer calls the four horsemen of the industrialized apocalypse. Isn't that a great, isn't that a great uh, a title? Caffeine, sugar, processed carbs, and alcohol, right? America. Number eight is escapist behaviors. 
when you're tired, or more importantly, when you're bored, because we've come to understand boredom is a bad thing, but it's actually, it's actually not. That's a sermon series from another time. Boredom is actually a really good and healthy thing. Um, so let your, let your kids be bored. That's where imagination happens. Um, instead of turning to life-giving activities for your soul, you kind of do the doom scroll on social media. You just kind of scroll through Twitter or Facebook or um, TikTok's a thing. Um, I don't know anything about it because I, I'm too old, I guess, now. Uh, YouTube, you, you binge Netflix. Uh, you turn to alcohol. You turn to porn. You turn to just surfing the web or anything else that just kind of blocks out the real world so you don't have to deal with what's, what's really in front of you. Uh, Number nine is slippage of spiritual disciplines. You feel disconnected uh, from God because you're not spending any time with him. I mean, it just hasn't, it's just not not a priority. And so you don't have those things incorporated in your life because you haven't scheduled them and because you haven't made time with them. Um, So you're disconnected from God. You feel disconnected from people and you feel disconnected from yourself and your own soul. And then isolation. Um, We can be isolated and still be sitting right next to people in our lives. And ho- hopefully we understand that that isolation comes from our actions and how we interact with people. You ever go to a restaurant these days and see two people hanging out? Um, it looks like it's, it's got to be a date. And, and the one thing that they're doing is not looking at each other, communicating with each other, but they're sitting there on the, I don't know, maybe they're texting each other. Maybe that's, that's what it is. You know, they're kind of sending each other things as they're sitting there. Um, as life uh, picks up, um, you know, the things that, uh, the things that really matter in, in your life, you kind of you neglect and you keep to yourself. You don't engage in your relationships with other people. Um, and, and so you, you keep yourself isolated. So how did you, how did you don't tell anybody, you don't, or maybe talk to your significant other later today, but how did you score on that? Do you find yourself checking off the box? I mean, I know I do. I find myself checking off some of those boxes. How many points did you get? It's okay, no perfect people allowed. It's also okay because you're not, not alone, but God does have something better for you and for us. In Psalm chapter 46, God says, be still and know that I am God. I will be exalted among the nations. I will be exalted in the earth. And the question for us is whether or not we're going to be paying attention to that or whether or not we are going to be a part of that. And it's not until we are still and recognize that God will be exalted, he will be glorified in all the earth and whether or not we choose to be a part of that um, that, that we recognize whether or not hurry is, is a sickness that we are part of in our life. For most of us to be still, that, that's not in a desirable activity. I mean, things that are slow are bad. Slow internet. Can, we, can I get a witness? You know, it's like, oh, that's, that's their slow service at a fast food restaurant. That's, that's the worst thing ever. Slow means unintelligent, right? This person is slow and deliberate. Some of the smartest people I know actually take some time before they respond. It's almost like there's this thing, be quick to listen, slow to speak, slow to become. It sounds like something that would be in, in the Bible. Uh, no, one wants, no one wants things to be slow, and yet God values things so completely differently than anybody else in the world. His kingdom it operates on a completely different schedule and a completely different focus in life. And in the kingdom of God, hurry is of the devil, and a measured pace is just right. Take a look at the life of Jesus. When was Jesus in a hurry? Actually, Jesus got in trouble more often than not because he wasn't moving fast enough for his followers. 
Jesus, come on, we need to go to the next. Or Jesus, these people are wanting this thing. Or Jesus, your friend has died. Come on, we need to, we need to go. We need, we need to go do something. His task was immense. Thousands of people clamored for his attention, and yet he continues to walk through his ministry with a measured pace, full of grace and patience and empathy. People bring their kids to him. His disciples are like, uh, we don't have time for this. Jesus got to handle the more important things. And Jesus says, no, 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 no. You, you've completely missed the point of this. Absolutely. Bring the little children to me. In fact, if you're not more like them, then you're going to have a problem with the kingdom of God. He stops to, stops to help the poor, the sick, the forgotten. He pauses to explain when somebody isn't understanding what he's saying, particularly with his disciples. They're like, Jesus, I, I, don't, I don't get that parable. He's like, okay, I'll explain it to you. He sets time to get away. Never once do we see him running or rushing. I'm not saying that Jesus never ran around as a kid, but you, 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 get, you get the idea. He always embodies the calm virtues of love, joy, and peace, none of which are possible in a state of hurry. John Ortberg writes this. He says, for many of us, the great danger is not that we will renounce our faith. It is that we will become so distracted and rushed and preoccupied that we will settle for a mediocre version of it. We'll just skim our lives instead of actually living them. And for me, I, I think this is the number one issue with our spiritual growth and our development as disciples of Jesus is, is not that we don't have the ability, not that we don't have the capacity, it's just that we're too distracted by all the opportunities and obstacles that we have in our lives that we just don't take time for it to be still and know that God is God. So the next few weeks, we're talking about four solutions to ruthlessly eliminate hurry from our life. And the first solution that we're talking about is actually comes, comes in a pair, and it's silence and solitude. When is the last time you sat in silence by choice? I mean, for me, I, I try to do that quite often because I, I, I enjoy that. I'm an introvert, but, um, and really, really did that because you were choosing to do that intentionally to be still before God. Or how often do you feel like you need to fill that silence with noise or some kind of flurry of activity or some kind of, uh, some kind of uh, thing that you experience in the moment to kind of keep you distracted? Richard Foster, I, I highly recommend the book Celebration of Discipline. It's a book on spiritual disciplines. And so if you feel like that's slipping from your life, uh, check that out. Richard Foster, Celebration of Discipline. It's a great resource. And he, he talks about silence and solitude within, within that book. And so when you think about solitude, I, I'm not sure what you think of, but you might be thinking of, oh, I, do I need to be a monk and go in a monastery? Well, no, no. I have an issue with monks. And that is not, not what we're called to do, is to separate ourselves from everything and hide in a cave or, or, or anything like that. Now, going and being by yourself is, is a part of that, but solitude is more of a state of mind and heart than it is a place in our lives. Solitude, uh, maybe we think of that in terms of, well, I, I have to be alone and I will be lonely, but that's not at all what solitude is. In fact, loneliness is solitude's evil twin in, in the matter. Uh, so let me, let me kind of define the difference for us. Loneliness is sadness that comes to people who feel that they have no one else to share life with. This is unhealthy. It's, a, it's, a, it's an extreme problem within our world. Uh, one, uh, so, much, uh, so many people are lonely, and, and yet we feel that we're more connected than ever. It's because we don't take time for personal, face-to-face -face relationships in our lives. And the difference between loneliness and solitude is in solitude, we have peace 
And it comes to us because we know that our happiness doesn't come from other people. And so that solitude is achieved by turning off the noise of this world as we often as we can, to be enriched by something deeper and more fulfilling, and to spend our time with the one who does fulfill our lives. And so that solitude gives us space not for us to be by ourselves, but for us to be with God, to recognize his presence in our life, which we're so often distracted from, but never disconnected from on his end. So Jesus, again, if we look at his life and we look at his times of solitude, the way that, the way that he approaches things before he ever began his ministry, Jesus spends 40 days out in the wilderness with God to prepare for what God has him to do. So if you check in Matthew chapter 4, verses 1 through 11, he spends 40 days in solitude with God before his ministry. In Luke chapter 6, verse 12, you can, uh, I'm just going to name some, some references through here just so you know that they are there in Scripture. He takes time away in the hills to spend time in meditation before selecting the 12 apostles that would follow him and be closest to him. In Matthew chapter 14, verse 13, he gets terrible news that his mentor and friend, uh, John the Baptist, had been executed, and he withdraws from there in a boat to a lonely place apart. After miraculously feeding 5,000 people, uh, Jesus in Matthew chapter 14, verse 23, goes up into the hills by himself. In Mark chapter 1, verse 35, this is my favorite verse to refer to uh, this because it was part of a, a devotion that the president of my college gave when I first, uh, first went there as an incoming freshman, and it has always stuck, stuck with me. Um, G, we read in Mark chapter 1, verse 35, very early, early in the morning, while it was still dark, Jesus got up, left the house, and went off to a solitary place where he prayed. I'm also going to include the next two verses because I think it's so... Uh, it's so um, clearly defines the contrast between Jesus and us. So verse 36, Simon and his companions went to look for him, and when they found him, they exclaimed, everyone is looking for you. <laughs> like, Jesus, what in the world are you doing? I mean, they didn't even fully grasp who Jesus was in that moment. And, and Jesus, Jesus is God, you know, in the flesh. He's there, he's hanging out, and they're like, man, you're moving way too slow. What is, what is wrong with you? This is why we need the discipline of solitude. Over, over, over and over in the heat of life, when, when things are at their climax or, or are getting crazy, Jesus withdraws from the noise to be alone with God in his life. He teaches the disciples to do this. Mark chapter 6, verse 31, he tells the disciples after they've been returning from serving and preaching um, to come away by yourselves with me to a quiet place. He does this over and over again. As Jesus is preparing to die on the cross, he goes to a quiet place, and he spends time with God, and he prays in solitude. And in Jesus, we see this cycle of community. He's with people. He's in fellowship. He's pouring out. He's serving and loving, followed by withdrawing to solitude to be alone with God, to worship him where he connects with God and recharges. So we need to take time to be alone with, with God. And the only way that works is if there's quiet in our lives. And so that's where silence and solitude comes, comes together, because you can't really be alone without some quiet 
in, in your life. And there are two different important areas of silence and quiet in our life, and that's external and internal. External is really easy, and that's, the, that's all the, the racket of the world, the traffic noise, the background, all, the, all those kinds of things. You ever have your power go out, and it just seems almost deafening because of how quiet it is. You know, the refrigerator's not running, the AC's not running, all, all those kinds of things. Uh, all the endless media that we consume, uh, the, the advertising that we see, the TV being on, uh, you know, music being on constantly. We can turn a switch and, and, and click those things off. So the external noise, we know, we know how to do that. We know how to turn off our phone. We know how to turn off our radio, all of those, those kinds of things. We know how to go to a quiet spot in our house. The internal noise, though, that's where the real work happens. It's the looping conversations in our head, the memories of mistakes that we don't want to remember, the dreams that we're still wishing for, maybe losing hold of, the planning for our life, you know, that, not that that can't be a good thing, or the worrying, which is always going to be a bad thing. Sometimes we're just mental hoarders that just have a bunch of clutter in our minds that we have a hard time quieting within us. So turning off the external noise can be fairly easy. The er, internal noise, that doesn't have a clear on-off switch. And a lot of us find ourselves filling every moment that we can because of that, which is with as much entertainment or music or noise, distraction, because we don't know how to deal with that internal noise. The concept of true peaceful silence is at best annoying or at worst, some of us are just scared of that, being in a place where we don't have external noise to distract us. Yet without silence, there is no solitude, there is no stillness with God. And to be truly nurtured by and experience the presence of God, we need to practice both. When we don't, when we don't pursue this, um, there are some things that happen kind of naturally. It takes a hit on our spiritual lives. One is we find ourselves trying to live off of someone else's spirituality. And we start to look to other people to reinforce that in our life um, and kind of try to make their faith our own. If you've ever desperately hoped that a new devotional book or a new podcast or killer sermon will make you feel just right again and kind of get you right back where you want to be with God, then that's, that's a place maybe that you've experienced or are in. You're kind of trying to live off of somebody else's spirituality. When we don't take regular time in solitude and silence with God, we can find it hard to know our purpose or a calling in our life, kind of feel ourselves aimless. And we're, we ask the question, what is, what is God's will? For, for me. When we don't take regular time in silence and solitude with God, many people find that there's constantly some level of anxiety bubbling under the surface that just won't stop. When we can't find that inner peace, we often escape to meaningless and destructive habits, uh, sinful addictions, we become an easy target for the evil one, we become emotionally unstable, easily set up. You know, we're kind of going back to those, those symptoms of hurry sickness that we talked about earlier. Uh, maybe we're just kind of find ourselves on a roller coaster through life. And just as solitude is not about being lonely, silence is not about the absence of inter internal noise. It's about tuning ourselves on to the right internal noise in our lives. Silence is about quieting our voice and stilling the voice of everyone else's so that we can spend time with God's voice at work in our lives internally. Silence and solitude is the time we set aside for meditating on our communion with God. And he's got to be able to get a word in edgewise within our hearts and our minds. 
In that time, we're not looking to be filled by something else to entertain us or to please our bodies or to fill our bellies. We're communing with the creator of our soul and resting in the fact that he is the one who completes us, not anyone else, not not anything else. And through prayer and time in his word, we exist within the completeness that he brings to our lives and our souls. And so we need, we need to find times to get away. We need those moments in our car, like maybe drive to work without the radio on inside. I do that and I have a 20 minute commute. And I, I enjoy that. Some of you think that would be the worst thing in the world. I have to have a podcast, music, talk radio, something, something on. Maybe use that time though intentionally to be still before God. Maybe a regular walk down a quiet trail. Maybe just taking some time in a task that you do every day but not rushing through it. Maybe it's making the bed in the morning that you take time to do that. And in silence and stillness, you use that to be before, to, before God. As you do that, uh, there's some things that are going to happen as you kind of quiet down that internal noise. You're going to start feeling things that maybe you've been trying to avoid. You're going to be thinking things that you don't really want, want to do. And what I want to encourage you to do is, is to deal with those things head on. Instead of kicking, them, kicking the can down the road, instead of drowning out the noise constantly, let the weight of some of those emotions run their course in you and through you. And, and I think what you'll find is you start to do the work of that, um, and it, it will take some time in your life, that the burden, the weight of that that you've been carrying along with you will start to lessen more and more as you recognize God is the one who wants to take that heavy burden off of your, uh, off of your shoulders. Especially when you're in that place of silence and solitude before God, that's part of the work of the Holy Spirit that he's going to do in, in your life. And all, all that time alone and in that tensionality, what you're going to find is you're going to find God and you're going to find perspective. It's not always the crystal clear voice of God. I, that is not something that I've experienced in my life, but there's always freedom and peace and healing that I find in those moments with God. And the noise of the world is going to be out there. You know, there's going to be a car horn that goes by or something, you know, out in the park walking. I mean, there's going to be that noise. There's going to be the noise in your head, the, the, vo the voice that, that you have that, that's speaking. But, you, but the, the reason we know that we can do this and we can pursue this and it's better for us is because it helps us to realize that we are never alone and God is always with us. And so I want to encourage you, if you don't have any kind of place in your life, in your schedule or physical place in your life where there is silence and solitude, a, a place for you to be with God and meditating on your communion with him, I'm going to encourage you to create that in your life. Create that space in your life. Maybe it's a physical place in your home or in your yard or at a park or in a hammock or wherever it might be. Create that physical space where you know, hey, that's, that's the place I'm going to be where I'm spending intentional silence and solitude with God in my life and schedule it out. Create space in your life. Maybe it's getting up 15 minutes earlier in your day. Maybe it is not going to bed until you have taken care of this. Maybe it is um, knowing that, hey, on, on this day, at this time, th these are the moments that I'm going to spend with God in, in my life. Uh, set the expectation for people. And let your family know, hey, when I'm at this spot in this time, leave me alone. Some of you are like, oh, that's, that, sounds, that sounds good. Like, give, get, hey, God told me to. You, like, use that excuse. Don't ever say that. But, like, here's one time where you can use that, use that excuse. 
and, and do this in your life. Let people know, hey, this is a priority for me, wherever it is, whenever it is. You need a place and you need a time. Pick one that you're going to return to regularly in your life. At least once this week, I want to encourage you to do this. At least one time. Say, hey, I'm going to set aside some intentional silence and solitude to be with God. In this time, you will experience two things. In your solitude, you are never alone because God is always with you. And in your silence, that the stillness of the external and internal noise in your life gives way for God's voice and for the Holy Spirit to help and to care for and to advocate for you. There's a quote um, that's attributed to several different people. I always try to, I always try to find out where quotes actually come from. And, and this one's attributed to several, several different people, but I think, it's, I think it's important and it fits in really well. And it's this, if the devil can't make you sin, he'll make you busy. Um, just a little theological quibble there. The devil can't make you do anything, all right? So there's a caveat to the quote. The devil can't make you do anything. But the real question is, does he even have to try? At, at what pace are we living our life? You know, with what intentionality are we existing within our relationship with God? Let me encourage you to adopt the way of Jesus, to eliminate hurry, um, to take time and silence and solitude to be with God, to celebrate what he is doing and has done and will do in your life, to worship him. And understand that love takes time, uh, but hurry kills it. And God wants to love us, and he wants to spend time with us, and he wants us to set aside those moments in, in our life. So let me encourage you to set some specific time to do that. The other thing I want to encourage you to do, and we've talked, uh, talked about this last week, and we're in the season of Lent as we, as we lead up to Easter, is that as a church, we're, we're fasting and praying. Um, we, I'm encouraging everybody to do that, participate in that. There's more information about that at velocitychurch.info, um, which you can go to at, at any time from any place. I want to encourage you to, to join us in those moments because, man, there, there's a great opportunity to remind us of uh, who God is and how he fulfills us and how he completes us in our lives. Let's, let's pray as uh, we close uh, this time in the word together. God, we... Um, we thank you for the grace of a different pace of life. God, uh, maybe, maybe, it's, um, <clears throat> maybe it's that we're addicted to the pace of life. Maybe it's just because we're caught up in the culture that we're in, and um, it's just what we've grown up in, so we don't know anything different. But we know that your kingdom is lived in a completely different way. And so as citizens, as disciples of Jesus, we ask you to help us to see where we can uh, begin to be less hurried where we can set aside intentional time to uh, be with you, to still uh, the voices that are clamoring for our attention and um, listen to yours, to uh, be uh, maybe alone physically uh, so that we can recognize that you are always with us. And we ask all of these things in Jesus' name. Amen.